the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. For those of you who are listening and watching, welcome to The Kingdom and Its Stories, this particular version of it or or, or edition of it. And um, today we're privileged to have as a guest, Rebecca Vogt. And uh, Rebecca, welcome. We're delighted to have you with us. Thank you, Bob. And uh, uh, Rebecca works for an organization that I worked for for many years in my younger ministry called Young Life. And and I'm sure that many of those who are listening know about Young Life and the incredible ministry uh, that God started through its founder, Jim Rayburn, many, many years ago. And um, Rebecca, I don't know, did, you're probably too young to have ever met Jim. I am. Is it? Unfortunately, yeah. yes. He was, he was an incredible guy. And, um, and to see how God used his life to influence me and you is really amazing as I reflect back on that. And, um, and so anyway, Rebecca, um, tell us in an elevator version, who is Rebecca Vogt? Yeah, well, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I was born and raised here. Um, grew up in a Christian home. My parents have been really faithful my whole life. Um, really wonderful house to grow up in, honestly. And I felt early on, I think either as a high schooler or in college, um, just felt drawn to working with adolescents, especially adolescents that were underprivileged and living in the margins. And the other thing that has kind of directed my life is I felt like God showed me that my mission field was Phoenix. As a teenager, I think there was a big push to go overseas, and that was on my mind, and my dad worked overseas, and it just felt really clear that Phoenix was the place that I was Mm. supposed to work and I was supposed to pour into, and so that is what I've tried to do. Wow. Wow. So it doesn't sound like you grew up in an underprivileged family at all. Right. Uh, Quite... Quite the opposite. So what was it in your growing up that you think led you to be interested in underprivileged kids? I think I watched my parents serve and love people really well. My, Like I said, my dad uh, worked overseas doing uh, relief and development work in, over, in third world countries. And my mom has been a ther- family and marriage therapist my whole life. And um, I think just growing up with that influence affected me and 
ultimately, I, I think God leans our hearts in a direction, and that is the direction my heart leaned. That's really interesting because that that was my ministry in young life, working with inner city kids. So, well, how how did you prepare for doing that? I mean, was was this something that you did right after school, um, or were you involved in in a volunteer capacity? Uh, did you did you train for this? What what was the preparation like for doing yeah. what God has led you to do? Good question. Um, I feel like I had very little preparation actually, but I actually started as a classroom teacher for a number of years, and then kind of towards the end of that, I started volunteering for Young Life. But specifically, there's a branch called Young Lives. And it is directed towards teenage mothers and their kids because mm. the mission of Young Life, for anyone who's not familiar, is to introduce adolescents to the gospel and help them grow in their faith. And years and years ago, we realized if we're going to reach kids, that includes kids who have kids. And so mm. Young Lives was born. and Kids who have kids. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. And I, it was really simple. A, a woman who was helping with Young Lives um, – talked about it at my church one Sunday, and I felt moved and wanted mm. to learn more. And it was probably the scariest yes I've said, because I recognized how <laughs> unqualified I was and how little I had in common, probably with a lot of these teenage moms. Um, but it's ended up being one of the best yeses that I've said. Scary yes, mm-hmm. but one of the best yeses yes. you've ever said. Well, tell us, um, give us some examples of of how you live out your life as a young life staff person. In and what's the version of you of um, uh, of the ministry that you the name it's of the ministry? Very confusing. It's Young Lives, so plural of lives. L i v e s. Yes, they made it as okay confusing as possible. I think, but. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so I started volunteering originally, and then I had the opportunity um, to go on staff. Young Life and Young Lives is really powered by volunteers. And so I got to coordinate those volunteers in Phoenix for a number of years. And then most recently, I'm doing admin work to support other women on staff who are developing Young Lives in their parts of the state. Um, And I get to continue volunteer leading again. So that's been a fun circle. Yeah, so... So your role is to basically coach volunteers. It was for a number of years, yeah. And now I I still get to do that, but I also get to um, just walk alongside these teenage moms in in a day to day capacity. So what what are what are some of the biggest challenges that these teenage moms face? Oh, that list is long, but I yes. think the the ones that come to my mind most is I think. Um, being a mom in general is very can be very lonely, and so when you add to that all your friends are teenagers, um, they lose a lot of community. They get they get really isolated. Oftentimes, their families are not stable, or their families are upset at them, and so they lose family community. Sometimes even their churches are not welcoming, which is really sad. Um, and I think that leads to just a general lack of hope. Um, they love their kids, and they've made the choice to say yes to to life, essentially. Um, but I, I've, I see them get become very hopeless um, and very lonely. 
I, I, something you said really bothers me, and that's uh, that the churches sometimes are not accepting. Tell us about that. Yeah. And what is the impact uh, of that on, on a young mother's life? Yeah. Um, I haven't witnessed it firsthand, of course, but, you know, they'll come in. And it's a, it's a number of churches that they're coming from, and it's not every church, of course. Um, but I actually have a story kind of around that. Um, one of the girls that I met early on in my when I started leading with Young Lives, she had had her baby at 16, had dropped out of high school, uh, was living in a pretty um, stifling family situation. Grandma had essentially decided that mom wasn't capable of raising this child, and so she took over a lot of the parenting responsibilities. And okay. the church that they had been going to, um, she felt very pushed at this. The mom felt pretty pushed out of um, in terms of community. And um, just kind of, I think, just an overall feeling of, of judgment. Like there wasn't a place for her there. There weren't people reaching out to her. Uh, to support mm. her. And so when I met her, she felt really isolated, really um, struggled with a lot of depression um, and self-worth because she you know, didn't have community and, and wasn't even really raising her kid. Um, you know, her parents weren't respecting her to raise her own kid. And so young lives. What do you mean? What, um, what do you mean by that? So her mom, the grandma, had taken over parenting responsibilities responsibilities essentially and I've seen that a number of times where um, you know your your teenage daughter has a baby and if you don't trust your teenage daughter or you are upset at her then it there's this sometimes grandmas feel like well I need to raise this kid now because my daughter's not capable which isn't true they need support but they're they're wonderful mothers even at that age um, and so that's what was happening for this young mom that she you know her her daughter almost felt more like a sister than a than her daughter um, oh, wow. Because of grandma. Yeah. And so young lives... Rebecca, what, yeah. what, what would you say if you had an opportunity to sit down with a pastor of this church um, or the youth pastor? Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to him to help him to understand the situation and what he could do to support this young mother? Mm -hmm. I think... I, I think teenage moms, and this is from my own experience, um, are are vastly misunderstood. I think there's an idea that they're kind of wild and partying and they're making bad choices and they get pregnant. And it's because they're irresponsible. And the reality is many teenage girls who become pregnant actually have a lot of trauma in their past. Um, they have a lot of instability and... Um, life decisions and relationships have have you know caused them to become pregnant um but it's it's not because of a wild streak it's because of a lot of brokenness and hurt that they're dealing okay. with and so i think if churches and pastors recognized that i think that would make a big difference well how how do they recognize it how do they how, you know you're the professional here so what's your counsel you know, to the leaders of that church, the youth pastor, the mm -hmm. uh, the pastor whose job is to lead his people in responding to the brokenness of the world around them, including the brokenness in the church. What's your counsel to them than, than just a general, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if there's actual judgment towards teenage pregnancy, that's something in in your in a person's own heart that they need to work through. And I think 
Jesus over and over again demonstrates his love for women who are living in the margins and women who are living lives that we wouldn't identify as upright even. Um, And so it's really clear that God's heart is for these moms, these young moms. Um, The other thing I think is is just awareness. I, I, you know, I would hope that churches have youth programs or groups that teenagers are are being welcomed into and have community into. And if if a, if one of those girls or you know, and maybe the dad is even in the group, but if if they become pregnant, then to move into that and engage in relationship versus, um, I'm not sure what happens, but pulling away or just you know, I think kids disappear and we don't go after them. Yeah, I can I can understand how, you know, the the upright families, you know, would uh, you know, I use, and I use that word in quotes, would not necessarily want their kids to associate with or or you know be in relationship with a teenage mom, um, and so you know maybe there needs to be some sort of a a um, sensitivity training um, to youth pastors um, or pastors to mm-hmm. encourage to, to to help mentor their people mm-hmm. to love and support mm-hmm. these these young people that you're working mm-hmm. with. Well, and that's where I I am really drawn to young lives because. Young Young Life as an umbrella organization is a parachurch, and so the idea is not to take kids out of church, but to draw them into a truer reality of who God is and then push them in the direction of church community. Like Young Life isn't the end all, it's, it's, the, it's the middle, the bridge, right? And so I think Young Lives, specifically towards teen moms, has the opportunity to bring church communities into that reality and to help them embrace these teenage moms. And the church that I've been at in Phoenix has done an incredible job of that. They've been so welcoming and so generous. Um, and that has been encouraging to me to watch, um, you know, just a lot of people put their arms around these these teen moms. Okay, I want to come back to that. But right now we need to take a quick station break and, uh, and let those who are listening and are watching uh, to know that we're watching, you're listening to the kingdom and its stories. And in, in this, um, broadcast, we try to interview people who can stimulate us to think more. How can we better be Jesus' hands and feet? So, um, okay. I want to pursue this question that we were dealing with about the church. Because I, I, you know, I, the church is, I think, God's primary instrument to demonstrate His wisdom and His power to the community. And one of the places of the brokenness that needs to be ministered to is in this area of teenage kids, moms with kids, kids with kids. Mm-hmm. And you said your church has done a really good job. Tell us some of the things that they do to help support this idea of walking alongside, encouraging, and mentoring, and helping kids with kids. 
Yeah. On a really easy, practical level, they provide space for us. Every week we put together an event for these teen moms, and so they provide space for us to do that, rooms for child care, storage to keep donation, baby clothes donations. Um, They also use part of their budget to help provide a meal for these girls. A lot of them, like I said, are coming from lower-income areas, and so they come hungry and it's hard to tell a girl that Jesus loves her when her stomach is hungry. And so mm-hmm. they help mm-hmm. us provide a meal. Um, at Christmas time, they rally and provide help provide gifts and gift cards so that we can bless these girls and, and give them something to give to their children on Christmas Day. And um, this is way out there, but the church that I'm at was actually one of the other needs that we've realized is needed is shelter and stability in housing. Um, When that is lacking, it's really hard for any teenager to grow, but especially a teenage teenage girl with a kid because getting out on their own is is very challenging. And so um, we had this heart to provide some housing, and and the church that I'm at actually had a property that they had been using but was currently vacant, and they allowed us to use it for a number of years to provide housing for a handful of these girls and their kids. Um, Wow. And that was... um, yeah, that was incredible. I, I got to live there as a mentor with these girls, and that is probably where I saw the most flourishing in my time with Young Lives um, was when they were living in a stable house where they could pursue college and jobs and community and raise their kids on their own. Right. Well, tell me about about the volunteers. You know, what is as you work with them and train them to work with these young mothers, you know, what does that training, preparation, orientation consist of? Yeah, a lot of it is doing it together. I think um, especially when you're when you're working with um, a community that doesn't look like you or you're not familiar with, it's, it's way easier to do it with a friend or with someone, you know, going arm in arm. That's even how Jesus encouraged us to do it. And so a lot of it is just arm in arm. We do a lot of life on life. So we'll show up where kids are. Um, we'll go grocery shopping with them. We will take them to the park. We'll help them, um, you know, figure out stuff for their kid. And so doing that with new volunteer leaders um, and just kind of doing an experience. And this is how we love girls. Um, and then there's off to the side training, too, to help leaders realize, volunteers realize where these girls are coming from, that they, they the girls might not be able to articulate, but um, like I said, that there might there's probably trauma in their background. There's um, yeah. there's probably there might be a, a baby dad that's still in the picture. There might be parents that are still in the picture, and so helping them with an awareness, we do um, kind of off to the side training along the way. Right. Okay. Can, have you got any specific stories, examples of of some of the kids that you've worked with that sort of can illustrate how? coming alongside these uh, kids with kids has helped them flourish? Yeah. I can finish the story about the girl that I started who whose mom had really taken over parenting. And um, this girl, had was you know, when I met her, was feeling very depressed um, and very uncertain of herself and her relationship with her daughter. And so um, Young Lives, I watched Young Lives give her a, a place of community and a place of, of other moms that looked like her and mm-hmm that understood where she was. And her faith, she had a baby faith at the time, and so we kept pouring into that um, and encouraging her. 
And she was actually one of the moms that got to live in the house that I mentioned that was provided by our church. And so I lived there with her and her daughter. And during that time, she finished her high school degree. Mm. She started college. She got a job. (coughs) And I think one of the biggest things, she started parenting her daughter and and developing that relationship on her own. And her... Describe that. What do you mean parenting her daughter? Um, I think, I, you know, I can guess, but tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, I think her daughter, I, did, I think she didn't feel very much authority in her daughters. I mean, her daughter was young at the time. I think she was two, and she didn't feel much authority um, to to train her and correct her and help her develop. And so when she was on her own in the house with other, watching other moms parent, I think it gave her the freedom to, to really own that and love her daughter mm. in those ways. Instead of her, you know, instead of her being a little sister, she became her daughter, which she was. And um, yeah, her, I watched her faith really develop. And now her daughter is almost in middle school, I think. And really? we are, she, they're such good friends of mine that that's the best gift is like, you know, she's, she's not a teen mom anymore. She's a grown woman and she has a daughter and their relationship is wonderful. And we just spent time together the other day and got lunch and um, they just feel like good friends, and her faith is so wow. strong, and she lives on her own, and she's doing great. Yeah. Oh, man. That is so encouraging, so exciting yeah. to me. Because when when you think of the alternative, mm-hmm. um, that little girl who is now almost in middle school could have had a destroyed life. Mm-hmm. I think- but because of the intervention that Young Life and you guys um, have given her, there's hope. Yeah. Real hope. Yeah. You bring up a good point. I, I think I watch these moms really break the cycle that's in their that's in their families. And their kids, you know, they might they might struggle on and off for their lives, but their kids are not going to. And their kids know that there's a God who loves them. And that is huge. Well, well the impact of being Jesus' hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Any, as we're getting toward the end of our time, any other stories that you can tell that would illustrate um, the impact of um, of this program? Yeah, I can give a, um, you know, they don't all have pretty endings yet. I'm, I'm hoping for some of them, but transformation takes a long time. So there's another. Oh, really? There's another, <laughs> there's another young mom that's really dear to me who I met just a few years ago. And her situation was unique because she was living in a foster group home specific, specifically for teenage moms. She was removed from her family um, around the same time that she became pregnant, not because of that, but she ended up having her baby while living in this group home, raised her child while living in this group home, and when I met her, had a ton of trust issues, as you can imagine, um, and was really locked down. But we just consistently kept showing up and, and kept being a part of their lives. And over time, she would she started to open up to me and, and talk to me about her life. And we got to take her to camp. We take girls to a five-day summer camp every year where they get to taste God's goodness and his plan for their lives. And she gave her life to Christ at that camp. And um, since then, I've really watched her grow um, in her faith and even just as a woman she's she's become an adult she's moved out of the home and she's figuring out how to do life on her own and um, she trusts me and so we get to do life together she still struggles but 
um, we get to be a part of each other's lives, and that and she knows God loves her. And one of the themes that I've heard Rebecca you repeat several times is that transformation takes time. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you can just say. Um, well, this one contact, this one intervention is going to make the difference. There needs to be a, a commitment for a long-term engagement yes. with these young people. Yes. And I think that, um, that that's a message that I walk away with. Mm-hmm. So there are many people listening. What would you say to them? You've got 30 seconds. How can you encourage them, just the, the person that's listening, mm-hmm. that maybe hasn't even considered being involved in this way? What would you say to them to encourage them to become sensitive to and involved with these young people? Mm-hmm. I think um, the, the, weight of need, the weight of need in the world is huge, and I think it can feel crushing. But at the end of the day, what I have found is that people need community and they need hope. And that is something that we can offer to teenage parents, to adults, um, to really anyone that we meet. And and I think that's really important. Rebecca Vogt, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your involvement with kids with kids. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. God bless you. Bye-bye. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.